We're back with the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Visitors to Maui County have reached pre-pandemic levels, and the mayor says it's doing its darnest to manage under the circumstances. Mayor Mike Victorino said this morning that he hopes that the county can move quickly to begin raising the rates on hotels as soon as September. So right now, we're, you know, working hard to do what we can to prevent these numbers from going much more, if we can do that, and provide the necessary services and quality of visitation that we have always offered here in Maui County. And that's the balance we're looking for. We're working on how do we keep our visitors with a quality visit, a quality uh, experience. When they go home, they feel like they want to come back someday. Not, oh, my God, I know I don't think I'll ever want to come back here. I know folks are wondering about what's going to happen with the Hawaii Tourism Authority and, you know, <laughs> now the ability of the counties to raise the hotel room tax. How is that going to work on Maui? We already have uh, one council member and myself have put in bills to uh, start the 3% uh, TAT that we're allowed to go up to 3%. For Maui County right now, we're looking at, if we collected 3%, let's use that as a, as, as a, a probable starting point, we would okay. probably look at about 35 to $40 million a year, which would help offset a lot of the challenges we face with uses of our parks, our emergency services, our uh, necessary uh, beach and other areas of accessibility, maintaining that. There's so many areas that money could be utilized, including uh, – affordable rentals and attainable housing for the uh, hospitality industry, the service-oriented employees that we have. It, actually, it's welcome news. I think, you know, this is something that we can rely on. And in one sense, I am glad the state and the legislature recognize the fact that instead of having shared, have our own separate tax that we could uh, levy and uh, utilize for our county for offset of visitor uh, experiences and visitor destinations. It is our understanding that our Department of Finance will have to set up a system to collect the taxes directly from the resorts and other uh, transient accommodations, which is what we're working on right this very moment, put that together, because until you have the system in place, can't collect money from somebody that you don't have a system to collect that revenue from. So we're moving on that right now, and hopefully by the end of this month, early next month, we'll have something in place. And we have, you know, the council will be looking at putting the budget amendment so we can receive these funds. I'm thinking the earliest we could probably receive these funds is probably September, October, uh, when we could actually start charging or actually implementing the 3% or whatever we end up, 1, 2, or 3% uh, transient accommodation county tax. So you really believe that, that you can, uh, can do it that quickly? I'm relatively confident with our Department of Finance. And, you know, then from there, you know, the state has assured us that they would give us access to their files in a sense of what these hotels are, are, are generating. See, the challenge, Kathy, we face here is when you were doing it for the state, uh, Sheraton and Marriott and Starwoods and all the different companies would um, get all the data, collect all the taxes and submit it one time to the state. That was statewide, not just each island or each county. And that's the challenge we face now. We're going to have to break it down per county. Those resorts that are here in Maui are who we're going to be collecting from. Hawaii, Hawaii, and the big island of Kauai Island would have to do the same 
for what they have on their particular or in their particular county. So I'm just putting on, uh, uh, let's say, the hotel hat. But, boy, that can be problematic if uh, you've got uh, properties on different islands, different counties. Yeah, and each county would have to uh, be able to uh, uh, ascertain that information and make appropriate uh, billings for it. So, uh, I, I, you know, I think like anything else, it's going to be a little challenging in the beginning. But once we get the system down, like everything else, it'll be okay. But in the beginning, I expect to see some challenges like anything else. Something new always, uh, you can't think of every impact and you try to, you know, minimize and, and, and adjust accordingly. And, you know, Maui County has been at the forefront of uh, this whole issue of vacation rental. Talk about what you are trying to do moving forward, how to, how to have a, a fair system. We are now moving with Expedia and Airbnb with an agreement, a memorandum of understanding, that they would share that information with us. Those that are doing it legally, we would be given whatever fair proportion we're supposed to get. Those that are not doing it legally would give us an opportunity to know where they are and to uh, go after them with fines and closures if necessary of their operation. If they do not have a permit in Hawaii, uh, in Maui County, we have that right to find them and eventually, if they don't uh, comply, close them. You know, so I'm hoping that uh, people realize now: if you're going to be a short-term illegal rental, we're going to be coming at you real quick because. Uh, even though we've been working at it, this will be a better methodology of being able to track them down and see and, and, and make them either comply or close them down. Once we sign that agreement, then Expedium and uh, Airbnb will give us that information for which we can then utilize for the purposes I mentioned earlier. We've done some stories recently on the uh, peer-to-peer car rental platforms that have been popping up, you know, Turo. And I understand that, that you know, that's also been an issue there at the Maui airport. Here we have a very similar problem. Let's say the rental cars pretty much eliminated more than 50% of their fleets. And then all of a sudden, boom, the visitors are back and the demand for rental cars exceeded what the numbers they have. And to buy new rental cars or to get be able to get more fleet right now is almost impossible. I don't know when the last time you went next to a, a car lot. But you don't find a lot of new cars in many of the car lots now because why? Uh, they're not producing as much because of different issues with transmissions and the uh, electronics that are used within the vehicle itself. There's a shortage of, of those around the world. And so many manufacturers are not manufacturing as many vehicles as they use, so, so that's causing one problem. The second problem is many of the rental cars are afraid to load up their lots again and if there was another slowdown, we have like what we had, late rental car. I mean, just cars lying all around the airport like you guys had in Oahu at Aloha Stadium. So that reluctance, along with the fact of the you know, um, unavailability of vehicles, has really caused a real challenge for visitors coming to Maui. Now, local residents have been renting out their vehicles, something I do not condone or or, or, or I completely worry about because if something does go wrong, you could be held liable personally because that is your personal vehicle. It's a dangerous situation, but I understand why people making a few dollars to make things weekends meet is so important. And then we've done shuttles, as you saw. We have, we have a shuttle system running from the airport, 
three times a day to West Maui and three times a day to South Maui, which has helped. And we're looking at seeing if we can extend that. Uh, HDA put that together. I want to thank them for, for that process. Well, now maybe we will pick it up and keep it going for another two or three months because we're not going to have enough rental cars. And I'd like to see our visitors, when they arrive, be taken directly to their uh, resort and not be uh, cruising around, if you know what I mean. And and the situation with um, the uh, real property taxes, I understand that, what, there was a hike recently? Yes, for uh, the purpose of best use. Some of these condos are now, even though they're singularly owned by someone, are being rented out because there was a tremendous uptick in visitors. So now these become uh, usable uh, condominiums. So we are, our tax department has been monitoring that and, you know, has made some changes. And so as far as real property tax this year, um, this new fiscal year was very promising because uh, uh, the council raise rates and the assessment, assessed values, have not fallen as far as we thought it would have. So we are in a pretty good shape when it comes to real property tax. That was Maui Mayor Mike Victorino talking to us this morning about the state of the county coffers and being on the verge of raising the hotel room tax up to 3% as soon as September or October of this year. The frustration level is rising as we move into this next phase of the pandemic and face so many mixed messages as you go county by county and state by state. We heard about the frustration of the Hawaii Restaurant Association yesterday and the new uneven rules for the food industry that are harder to enforce. Today, we hear from Peter Oshiro, head of the state health department's food safety branch. Earlier in the pandemic, his team had its hands full regulating establishments when it came to mass. Oshiro talks about his challenges. The reality of it is that at this point in time, we are not enforcing the Department of Health, is not enforcing the mask mandates or the social distancing at our regulated establishments. And the main reason why it's a legal problem right now is because once the food establishment tells us that their employees are all vaccinated and that they're checking that their customers are all vaccinated, then there's absolutely no scientific reason to be wearing a mask or to socially distance. So if we close a restaurant down and issue them a red card for not wearing a mask, for following CDC guidance, it's not going to fly. So once the CDC came out with the science that says if you are fully vaccinated, you do not need to wear a mask under any condition, then at that point in time, we lost our ability to actually legally enforce it, right? Because we don't have any means to say even what is a legal vaccination card either. So. So, again, at this point in time in the pandemic, um, people need to protect themselves. I think government has done more than enough, which means that if you want to get vaccinated, you can get vaccinated. And if you're not vaccinated, everybody should realize that 99% of our hospitalizations and deaths currently are, are unvaccinated people. So you really need to protect yourselves. And I don't know how much more the health department can keep saying that, right? So if you're worried about going into a nightclub where nobody's wearing a mask and you're waiting for government to help you out, I don't think we're at that point anymore. You're going to have to make your own decision and protect yourself. Well, if you're vaccinated, go ahead, go in there and rock yourself out. And if you're not, please don't go in. 
I've just been scratching my head because with the different counties, you know, operating under different rules, different mm-hmm. tiers, it's just like you almost have to like throw up your hands. Right. Because and state- the bureaucracy keeps making rules, which they have no intention or ability to enforce. That's my big issue. I do not make rules that I cannot enforce. So when the city and county and the governor tells everybody to wear a mask, and then the police um, remove their whole police force that they made to enforce these things, then right off the bat, nobody's enforcing it. You have laws and you have industry businesses that are trying to conform, and they're at a disadvantage from other businesses that don't give a rip. We did talk to uh, one restaurant owner who says she's really the enforcer, um, <laughs> and, but she feels bad because her employees are already working long hours because they're shorthanded sure. and they're only working 10 hours or mm-hmm. more wearing a mask. Right. And if they're vaccinated, why? Right. That doesn't they're really there's no need to do that anymore if the employees are all vaccinated in the back of the house. So. Right. And there are some establishments that are saying uh, we don't feel comfortable asking people, are you vaccinated? And, sure. and uh, they don't like putting the employees in that position because sometimes, you know, they get the brunt of it. Yep. You're going to get a very bad reaction from someone that says none of your damn business, right? Yeah, they get the pushback. In a way, though, I guess it makes your job easier because if you can't enforce something and and have it hold up legally, what's the point? Right, exactly. You know, if we're the ones that are supposed to be enforcing it, then I think we need to be involved at some point in time in the discussion. And we have never, since the start of the pandemic, my administrators at the Department of Health have not once, one now, I'm talking the number one, have not once sat down with me and told me what the department's objectives are. And I'm fine with that. Just don't, please don't second guess my decisions if the department administrator is not willing to guide you. There is no communication from administration down. So, gosh, I mean, you certainly have plenty of, of work to do anyway with inspections just in general without the pandemic. I'm hearing from you that you would have liked some inclusion and some feedback. Yeah, that would have, that would have made it easier from because you know we're the ones that are going into the restaurant and the owners are asking us questions and we're throwing up our hands saying, "Geez, I don't know." That's not very good, right, for government. All we're repeating is what you know we can tell you. And as far as why you know th- certain things are going a certain way and when do we expect these things to end and what is this tier system all about? And that goalpost keeps changing depending on who's mayor, right? So that's very frustrating for business. Huh? So you've got lots of mixed messages, lots of confused restaurant owners, business owners, bar owners, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just trying to do their best. I right. Guess. And the public is confused because they're the one calling us. They're complaining. When the mayor makes the rules, that doesn't bind the Department of Health to do anything. The Department of Health is bound by the governor. So the governor needs to pass some kind of proclamation or emergency response. Anything short of that, the only people that will enforce anything are HPD. They are the only ones that have the legal power to enforce any of the mayor's, quote, unquote, tier system restrictions. When did it get difficult for you when the county started to do different things? Well, it, actually, it got difficult because the administration, for all they say about following the science, they really don't. And they don't have a vision of how they're going to integrate it. Right. So to this day, you know, we're still asking restaurants as far as the mandate goes that they all have to be masked up as far as the state goes, then the city changes it and says that, no, you just have to ask if people are vaccinated. So, again, you have two bosses out there, two sets of laws, and 
very difficult to figure out which one is going to be enforced and not. Yeah. So for us, it's okay as far as my now my manpower is strictly focused on our original um, goals, which is foodborne illness transmission prevention. The main thing about the inspectors were they were, I guess, worried about their own health. So my goal as the manager and our supervisors was to make sure that they had adequate protective, personal protective device. So from the start of the pandemic, we were issuing KN and N95 masks to them, shields, sanitizers, everything. And it's so sad because we had to do that on our own. The state provided nothing. We purchased all this equipment outside of the department because the department would not, quote unquote, purchase some of these equipment for us. What are you hearing from the different islands? What's the feedback? Yeah, again, that's why it's different because I don't control any of the neighbor island inspectors. They're all under the individual district health offices. So they've been tasked with different duties. So my peers on the neighbor islands, a lot of them were doing flu clinics. They were doing vaccination clinics. So they had stopped a lot of the routine inspections. We continue to do routine inspections here. We even did virtual inspections during the lockdown. Uh, We managed to open up 20 businesses while the quote-unquote, the state was locked down. We had devised a way to um, open up establishments virtually using technology. But as far as the neighbor islands, everybody's doing completely different things, so it's hard to get a handle on what their day-to-day operations are. Well, we wait to see if there's going to be a change in the policy based on our vaccination rate, you know, whether it's 60% or 70%. (laughs) uh, I mean, then it's just going to be a challenge for business owners out there. Yes, it will be. Again, you know, because we went from, I guess they were looking at percentage of people infected to now percentage of people vaccinated as, quote unquote, the model. And we've hit a wall with that also, right? So it's, I don't think it's going as quickly as we wanted it to go. But I think we're still stuck just shy of 60%. So I'm not sure when and how they're going to get to 70. Hopefully they pick it up. And then with school starting, any particular challenges that you have? I know everybody was doing the grab and go. This pandemic is not through food transmission. Mm -hmm. So as long as people keep doing what they normally do, we should be okay. Anything else you want to just underscore? I think the main message for everybody out there, please get vaccinated. And that'll keep you from going to the hospital or even from dying. Because that's a startling statistic where 99% of the people nationwide currently in a hospital from COVID are all unvaccinated. The solution is out there and people are not taking it. It's just been so interesting talking to these different people about, you know, what they're experiencing and what they're doing and they're scratching their heads like, oh, how come it's three feet in the classroom, but six (laughs) feet in the restaurant, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yep. throwing up their hands. Yeah, so. and you know, that's kind of that three feet in the classroom thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They never consulted with us. So what happened was my staff went to the schools and they started to see them seat all the children. This is earlier in the pandemic when school was still in session. We were surprised um, to find out that the Department of Health put this guidance out to the Department of Education and the EPI people did not confer with us. And we're the ones that regulate these people. So, so it was what they were doing three feet? The rules for them say as best as possible. So it could be zero feet if they wanted. And that was the official DOH guidance that was put out to the schools. It says suggested three feet or as best as you can. So that was very disappointing when I read that because when my staff went there and started to tell them about, um, you guys got to be six feet apart. And they showed us this memo that we never saw before that came from our own department. It was kind of disheartening. That was Peter Oshiro, head of the State Health Department's Food Safety Branch.
Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Inkinen Executive Search, helping Hawaii organizations find leaders to navigate in times of change. More information at Inkinen.com. The news and music you hear on HPR are supported in part by nearly 200 local organizations that choose to reinforce their brand with us. Mahalo to Island Tax Solutions, Revacom, and Maui Academy of Performing Arts. They believe, just as you do, in the power of public radio. See a full list of our underwriters at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Ferraro Choi, committed to environmentally sustainable architecture and interior design. Supporting Hawaii Public Radio for more than 25 years, FerraroChoi.com. Today's reality check, we've got a hot story from reporter Nick Ruby about the Kealoha corruption scandal. Aloha, Nick. Aloha, Catherine. Thank you for having me on. So you got wind of a latest development uh, in the the uh, upcoming criminal trial of uh, Catherine Kealoha's brother, Rudy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Rudolph Puana is a anesthesiologist who has been indicted for allegedly um, putting pain pills out on the street in exchange for cocaine. Essentially, he was, um, he's been accused of uh, writing prescriptions to uh, his friends and his sister, Catherine Kealoha, um, to give them oxycodone and other uh, pain medications such as fentanyl um, that then they could either take themselves or sell uh, for cash or trade for cocaine. And uh, according to these new documents that prosecutors filed today, they were using um, using some of these drugs themselves, including cocaine recreationally, to have, quote, cocaine parties. Well, the first sentence in your story is kind of stunning because you say Catherine K. Aloha posed for a photo with a line of cocaine on her husband's desk, the chief of police. I mean, that's just astounding. That's right. Uh, when I was reading through the documents this morning, I found that to be one of the more stunning revelations from the prosecutors uh, about the evidence they say they have. Um, now, uh, the reason for that is, of course, Catherine K. Aloha is a former uh, high-ranking deputy prosecutor, and her husband, uh, Louis K. Aloha, was the chief of police. And here she is, apparently, taking a photo with an illegal drug on his desk at the Honolulu Police Department. Um, and everything about that just screams, this is wrong, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, that's outrageous, just outrageous. Right. Well, you know, of course, this is still evidence that the prosecutors still need to trot out and during a trial. And I think that what this, what these pleadings uh, really do is they just provide us a glimpse into the type of case uh, the federal prosecutors plan to put on against Rudolph Puana, who again is Catherine Kealoha's brother, and who she has already pleaded guilty to taking part in uh, some of the allegations uh, that have been laid out in court documents, including those related to um, Tiffany Masunaga, who's an alleged drug dealer herself, who uh, when police 
raided her house in 2015. They found a bunch of prescription pills and fentanyl patches that federal prosecutors now say belong to Rudy Puana. But the Catherine K. Aloha sort of used her position as a city prosecutor to sort of manipulate the, the system and sort of lead the investigation away from her brother. And uh, Catherine Kealoha, I understand, is what, I mean, Catherine Kealoha, Tiffany Matsunaga, I think, is what, missing, right? There's authorities are looking for her? Um, I'm uh, not sure of the status of Tiffany Matsunaga uh, right now. Uh, I do know that um, uh, as of uh, a couple months ago, she still faced potential criminal charges in state court uh, over uh, the drugs that were found in her house. Um but at this point, you know, she has become sort of one of the side characters in this ever-growing scandal. And you mentioned two others, uh, Josh Durego and then another friend of uh, Rudy Puana, uh, McKinney, who was a, a book author. Correct. So the federal prosecutors actually named Christopher McKinney and Joshua Durego and Durego's wife uh, in the latest pleading, saying that these were people who were involved with actually uh, getting prescription drugs from Rudy Puana and selling them and trading them for cocaine uh, throughout this process. And of course, uh, based off of the way that the, the, these pleadings were written, both McKinney and Dorego appear to be working with federal prosecutors as they, as as they build their case against Puana. Well, you do have uh, the court filings uh, attached to your story today, so I know if folks want to read more, they can actually uh, go there. But yeah, fascinating information uh, that is being laid out in these court documents. Uh, good job getting a, a, an in on this. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Thanks so much. We have been talking to reporter Nick Ruby today for our Reality Check segment. Read his story online at civilbeat.org. August 6th, the statewide eviction moratorium that's been in place since April 2020 will come to an end. That could force many impacted financially by the pandemic to find a new place to live at a time when median home prices are hovering around a million dollars and rental inventory is shrinking. To ease what could be a tumultuous situation after the moratorium ends, Governor David Ige signed Act 57 into law last month. It makes significant changes to the state's eviction process and incentivizes mediation for renter-landlord disputes. To help understand those changes, the Mediation Center of the Pacific is holding a free virtual forum tomorrow. It's for landlords and tenants. The Conversations Russell Sobiono sat down with the center's executive director, Tracy Wilkin, to learn more about Act 57 and how it changes eviction procedures. It essentially does three things. One, it increases the notice time that landlords are required to provide tenants if they are planning to move forward with the eviction process. So prior to Act 57 going into effect, landlords were required to give a five-day notice. Under Act 57, 
the landlords give a 15-day notice, and if the tenants agree to mediation and schedule a mediation session within 15 days, then it becomes a 30-day notice. The second thing that Act 57 does is it provides tenants with the opportunity to participate in a free mediation process with their landlord. By participating in mediation, they can potentially negotiate agreements that will enable them ideally to stay in the residence, work together with their landlord to apply for rental assistance if they haven't done so already, possibly work out payment plans or reduction of rent in the future. And the third thing that Act 57 does is it creates a tiered process for landlords moving forward with eviction. So rather than every landlord being able to file for eviction when the moratorium ends on August 6th, instead what Act 57 does is only landlords with tenants who are four months or more behind on their rent can provide the tenant with the notice that they're moving forward with eviction. And then the following month, September, landlords with tenants who are three months or more behind can then provide the tenants with a notice that they're moving forward with the eviction process. And then 60 days after that, landlords can provide tenants with a notice that they're moving forward if they're two months or more behind. And then come January of 2020, 22, landlords with tenants who are a month or more behind can then provide them with a notice. So that way, landlords can't file for eviction at the same time and flood the court. And then ideally, when landlords provide the notice, they're required to provide the same notice to the mediation center on the island where the tenant resides. So that way, Ideally, the tenant will participate in mediation, and if they reach an agreement in mediation, they'll never end up in court. Do you know if anybody has numbers on or can estimate on the expected amount of evictions? You know, that's really hard to say. You know, UHERO projected, and this was several months ago, that there were approximately 10,000 tenants who were behind on their rental payments. Now, since that time, there might be more tenants. Ideally, there's fewer because people have accessed rental assistance. And we also know that some tenants have moved out already or other arrangements have been made. So looking at that, you know, we anticipate that first month or so, there could potentially be about 2,500 notices provided to tenants and requests for mediation. But we don't know the exact numbers. It could be more. It could be a little bit less. Right. Yeah. And for tenants who they're just not in a position to be able to pay any kind of back rent, what are a couple of things tenants can do in preparation for the end of the eviction moratorium? There's a few things tenants should be doing. One, if they haven't applied for rental assistance, they really need to do that because there are still funds. And the portal isn't open right now, but it will be opening again. I'm not sure if it's going to open before the moratorium ends, but that's certainly something they should be planning on doing, if, you know, at least pulling their paperwork together to apply for rental assistance. They should also be talking to a financial counselor to get a realistic idea of, you know, if they qualify for rental assistance or if 
or if they have a job now and maybe they didn't, or looking at their finances, could they come up with some sort of payment plan that could be proposed to the landlord? Even if they couldn't pay the full amount, could they come up with some kind of payment plan that's covering some of the back rent and rent moving forward? And then, of course, the third thing is they should be looking at resources that can help them find and identify a new place to live if they feel that realistically there's just no way they're going to be able to come up with a payment plan or perhaps they have applied for rental assistance and for whatever reason were denied. The other really important thing is when they get that notice that their landlord is telling them that if you don't pay, we're going to evict, they should really contact the mediation center and attempt mediation. They have nothing to lose and it might be an opportunity to work through an agreement, they'll be surprised. Sometimes we think, oh, this landlord and tenant, they haven't talked to each other, there's no way. But they might be able to reach an agreement, and if nothing else, they might be connected with some of the resources that are useful for them. Tenants can reach out to legal aid for legal information, and that's really another important resource for them. Who will be at your forum that will be sharing information that can help tenants? The individuals at the forum who will be able to help tenants are Dan O'Mara. He is from the Legal Aid Society of Hawaii, and he will be providing information about the terms of Act 57. Jillian Okamoto, who will be providing information about the rental assistance program, which still has funding and that's still an opportunity for tenants and landlords to access. Katie Ranney, who's also with the Mediation Center of the Pacific, will be providing information about the free mediation program. Much of the focus has been on the tenant side of things, and deservedly so. They'll be the largest group affected by the end of the moratorium. But many landlords who may be financially impacted will be put in a hard position of having to evict tenants who may be struggling financially Will there also be someone to share information for landlords at the forum? Yeah, absolutely. So David Chi is a landlord attorney. He'll be there speaking from the perspective of a landlord and helping them understand Act 57. And as you say, there's a lot of landlords who have suffered as well as tenants. And and David will reinforce that no landlord wants to evict a tenant. So landlords also need to access legal information. They also need to understand the terms of Act 57 so they're following the procedures correctly. And one of those key steps for a landlord is providing that notice form to their tenant as well as to the mediation center on the island where the tenant resides. So even though there is no sample notice form posted anywhere, we do know that there is going to be one available, and hopefully by the time of the forum, David will be able to inform landlords where they can go to access that notice to make it a little bit easier for them. And I know you touched on it before, but what role can the Mediation Center of the Pacific play in these situations, especially when there is a dispute between a landlord and a tenant. I imagine there will be an abundance of, of disputes to arise after the moratorium ends. 
Yeah, absolutely, and, and it's important. So we, as soon as the landlord provides us with the notice, we'll be reaching out proactively to the tenant. The tenant will also be informed on the notice to reach out to us so that we can schedule a mediation. We'll also be encouraging the tenant as well as landlords to reach out to resources that I already mentioned so they're prepared for mediation. And in the mediation process, you have a trained mediator, professional mediator, who's impartial, so they're not going to tell the landlord and tenant what to do, but they will listen and to each of them and understand their personal stories. It's not just about a landlord and a tenant, but it's about a landlord and a tenant as people and the impact this has had on them to help them understand and look at each other as people and then help them negotiate potential solutions that will work for their situation. Now, certainly landlord and tenant are not required to agree to anything, but it gives them a chance to think of different options. And the other important thing is uh, at this point, understandably, landlords and tenants have both been under a lot of stress. A lot of them don't trust each other. They might be angry with each other just because of everything that they've gone through or maybe because of interactions they've had and frustration. And so we have seen through the mediation process, opening up communication, helping them recognize that they really do want to work together. So for example, in, in one situation, the landlord you know, was really angry with the tenant because they thought the tenant had not made any effort at all to pay their rent when in fact the tenant had applied for rental assistance the first time around late last year, never heard anything, so just assumed they didn't qualify and didn't know why, so then didn't apply again, felt bad, was embarrassed. And so through the mediation process, working with the mediator, when the landlord finally learned that the tenant had applied, was trying to do everything they could to be able to pay the landlord and really wanted to, the landlord was more open to working with the tenant. Now, this is not going to happen in every situation, but certainly um, with the help of an impartial mediator, they new information can come out and they can sometimes come up with creative solutions that they hadn't thought of. That was Tracy Wilkin, the executive director of the Mediation Center of the Pacific, speaking with our Russell Subiano to register to attend the center's free virtual webinar, Mediation Eviction Forum, What Landlords and Tenants on Oahu Need to Know Tomorrow Evening. Check out the link on the conversation page of our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, featuring island-style lunch and Sunday brunch at the Homa Cafe, along with evening bar service on Fridays and Saturdays. Details at honolulumuseum.org. It's a celebration of the human voice when the sounds of Aloha Chorus fills HPR's Atherton Studio. Join us for a live stream concert Saturday, July 24th at 6 p.m. as several quartets from the vocal ensemble perform. Enjoy the magic of the Atherton Studio in your living room. Reserve your spot at hprtickets.org. Sponsored by Kimos and Leilani's on the Beach on Maui. (laughs) 
Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Queens Island Urgent Care, treating non-life-threatening illnesses and injuries at six locations across Oahu. Walk-ins welcome. Learn more at queens.org. what? It's National Fortune Cookie Day. Who thought of that one? If you ever wanted to open the crispy treat and read your fortune in Pigeon, well, now you can. The creator of the Pigeon Moji app uh, now gives us the Pigeon Moji Fortune Cookie. It's complete, um, completely made here in Hawaii from the wafer to the writing. The Conversations Lillian Song sat down with Pigeon Moji owner Kaohele Carlos to learn how his company expanded from local emojis to a lifestyle brand. The origin of the company, it was connection with my brother. If I were to associate a word with it, it's pilina. So in Hawaiian, it's that, you know, that connection that you create with people through shared experiences. And that's basically what Pigeon is, right? Cultures from all around the world coming to Hawaii needing that kind of common bond with each other. I currently live in Los Angeles. After I graduated from UH, I moved to LA. Work for Amazon. Uh, I run the team that does Prime Video. I've been in the industry for quite some time. So my world is all about entertainment, all about tech. And my brother still lives on the island. We were texting all the time, always in Pigeon. I was like, oh, I wish I had like an emoji that would go with these phrases. And since that didn't exist, I, I created it. And then my friends started seeing it. They're like, oh, I want that. So I launched it as an app. And then that took off. You know, if I'm at the airport and I'm wearing one of the, the shirts, I say, how's it? And I could be anywhere in the world, like someone from Hawaii is going to walk up to me and we're going to talk pigeon. And it's a way to connect with people. So for someone who's just hearing about you, going to your website, you've got a pigeon dictionary. Yeah. If you go to pigeonmoji.com, today's National Fortune Cookie Day. And so you'll see our fortune cookie t-shirts featured. You'll be able to link over and buy the fortune cookies. Each fortune is in pigeon, so that's fun and something that you can buy and connect with family and friends as you kind of share what your fortune is in pigeon. A few people that I work with in the mainland, they're like, well, what is, what is this? I don't get it. And so, you know, for those who do know pigeon, it's a great way just to kind of read through and get some humorous interpretations. And then for those who don't know Pigeon, it's a, a learning experience. Good point. So how about we just kind of walk through this together? Do you have your phone? I do. Okay, so I'm scrolling through the H's, and the word is Haunas. H-A-U-N-A-S. Haunas. Yeah. As you'll see in our Pigeon Dictionary, we have several interpretations. And so these are submitted from various people, currently friends and family. But, you know, I'll get people that send me emails just contact at pigeonmoji.com and they'll say, oh, I have the best interpretation for this. And so everyone can feel free to, to email over and I'll, I'll put it in our dictionary. But haunas, basically it means exceedingly foul smelling. But let me read one of these here. Okay. I so skylana. How many times I got to tell you? After football, take your shoes off and leave your dirty socks in the laundry. Oh, the thing haunas. <laughs> okay. All right, there you go. See, I can't do that at Amazon. I suppose you can. Oh, okay. And this is just a, a user submission. Yeah, yeah. In the dictionary, how many words do you have? 
There's about 103 words. Uh, we're expanding to include more Hawaiian words. And, you know, we get submissions all the time of just people going, you know what word you should put in. And so there, there's a, a nice long list of things we want to add. Mm -hmm. And for your fortune cookies, though, you say you have 150 different fortunes. 150 different fortunes. You know, we wanted to make sure that, you know, when you grab a bag and you share with your friends that everyone has something unique, you know, back to Polino, you want to have that, you know, connection with people. And literally the first thing that, that I do and I see everyone else do is you open the fortune cookie, you read the fortune, you, know, you bust laugh a little bit, and the first thing you do is you share it with your friend, right? So you're creating that human connection. Yes, yes. And this just came to you while you were stuck in like a COVID bubble? You know, the, the apparel did, and that was successful. Now this came to me from my friend Jimmy. So my friend Jimmy and I, we went to college together, and Jimmy Chan, a local boy from Hilo, you know, I went to uh, mainland after college. Jimmy stayed here and he created a snack empire. So he he runs Hawaiian chip company. Uh, they make taro chips, they make all kind of good stuff. They're in Kohihi. We stayed close. And one day he said, uh, you know what? I've always been wanting to make fortune cookies, but I just don't know what to put in the fortunes. You know, something with pigeon would be great. I'm like, light bulb. All right. Well, clearly my brand is all about that. And oh, my God, I can't now wait to make it. And to like give it to my friends, give it to my family and just kind of see the reactions. And so he gets full credit. We're launching today in his store. You can go to Hawaiian Chip Company down in Kalihi. He's featuring it in his store. Uh, please go uh, share with some friends, buy a couple bags. But yeah, he gets full credit. You know, he created an entire empire. So if he says this is going to be successful, I'm going for it. How long back was this? Like a year ago? This was pretty quick. I'd say this was about four months ago, and I jumped on it. I recruited my dad to write fortunes and a couple friends, and I wrote some myself. And yeah, you know, I really want to support local businesses. So the fortune cookies, they're made by Hawaii Candy, and it's being sold in Jimmy's shop over at Hawaiian Chip Company. And, you know, all the printing of the fortunes, all the printing of labels, you know, a, a copy center. Like, I wanted to, like, spread this around the island, make sure that, you know, I'm stimulating local economy. Keeping the dollars here on the island. Yeah, we really want to uh, support local businesses. And so one of the things that we're doing is we're partnering with different businesses uh, in Hawaii and creating apparel uh, and then donating the sales of those apparels to local organizations. So just one example is my friend Kuila. Uh, he has a men's fragrance, and it's called Kingdom Volcano. And so we partnered with him to create apparel that's uh, currently on the website. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we take you know 100% of the profit there, and we donate it to that company's organization of choice. And so for this one, he lives in Volcano. We donate to help feed the hungry in Volcano. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're looking for other opportunities like that. Again, just to stimulate economy, you know, the series is called Local Businesses Nokaoi. And also just give back. You know, it's important. I've been very fortunate mm -hmm. in my life. And, and I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm giving back to the people. It seems very fluid in how it was able to just flow from one concept to the next. Yeah. This is a labor of love. And so everything has just been, in Pigeon, good fun. So as long as it, you know, keeping me happy and it's good fun, then I love working on it. And back to the connection. So I mentioned Kuila. After the pandemic hit, again, I did the apparel, couldn't come home. Now that I'm vaccinated, I'm like, all right, I got to get home. Because the one thing that I was hearing on the website was, 
okay, are you sure you're a local brand? Because it doesn't look local. And because I couldn't come home and take photos, you know, I had to use stock photography. And so the one thing that was missing was like local people, right? Mm -hmm. So I was able to come home finally and I called Quilla up. I'm like, you know what, I wanna take some photos. He's like celebrity stylist, he knows everybody. He's an amazing photographer. He lives Big Island and he said, oh yeah, whatever you need. So he flew out from the Big Island, he brought a couple models, he called up all his friends. We did a big photo shoot uh, this weekend. He calls up his cousin, oh, Brooklyn, Miss Universe. Yeah, okay, you can come down. She was one of our models. She was amazing. And, you know, she modeled our fortune cookie t-shirt. She was like reading off the fortunes. It was hilarious. But all of this is, is again, back to connections. I'll do anything for my friends and family. And to see that they'll do anything for me and jump in, that, that's what makes it fluid. Mm -hmm. It's a way for me to stay connected to people. And it's just been good fun to like do it with friends. Oh, good for yeah. you. So right now, it's time to bring out the fortune cookies. About eight in the bag. Yep. And this is just the serendipity of a fortune cookie. All right. All right, here, I'm going to crack it open. Okay. Here's my fortune. Keep your eyes on the stars, and your slippers on the ground. Uh. That and you, you want to talk serendipity? Look at my shirt. Same fortune. Same Out of 150 one. fortunes, you picked the one that I wanted to wear today. And you know, this one was special to me. I have kids. I have uh, Leia and Kara. Leia seven. Kara is five. And I have a full-time job. I got lots going on. But this is a fun project for me. And, and this is something that keeps me connected to the islands, connected to my ohana, mm -hmm. my friends. But, you know, I need to make sure that I'm rooted in my family, that I'm rooted in, in taking care of my parents and, and, you know, taking care of my friends. But I always have, you know, I always want to strive and aim high. And so this is a good reminder for me to, you know, keep on hustling, but, you know, make sure that I'm grounded as well. Oh, very nice. Was this one of yours? Uh, that was one of mine. Oh, I wrote that one. Yeah. Very auspicious cookie. And so, oh, your turn. Oh, okay. Well, your I'm just going to take turn. the top one because that, that seems meant to be. All right. This one says, hey, you, no hoo hoo. Just cruise and good luck can come to you. All right. Nice. And these are freshly made in Hawaii. Taste good too. They taste so good. <laughs> that was Pigeonmoji.com founder Kaohele Carlos in our Lillian song. The Pigeonmoji fortune cookie is available only at the Hawaiian Chip Company in Kalihi, but could be coming to grocery store shelves soon. Check out the link on our website later today. And, you know, Carlos was generous enough to share uh, some samples of the new Pigeonmoji fortune cookie. I have one right here. Let's see what my fortune says. Okay. Pigeon moji. More better. You make time count and stop counting time. <laughs> Chihu. All right. That's it for today, folks. Tomorrow, we plan to hear from Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, who has had the front row seat in our emergency room. Share your comments or questions about what you heard by calling our talkback line, 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. 
You can also connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.